Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. I want to cover some things in the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews is one of the most essential books in the New Testament. And it is most essential showing what God has done, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and Christ is our high priest and sacrifice. Now, I can tell you this right now, that I've been investigating more into Messianic Judaism. And I can tell you one thing for sure. They do not understand the grace of God. And they're all bogged down in their traditions and in the the Jewish rituals. Because the Jews think they are God's people and they alone have an avenue to God. And everybody else has to go through them. Well, that's not true. God does the calling, and we all go through Christ. And unless the Messianic Jews put aside all the traditions of Judaism and really understand the grace of God and the truth of God the way it should be in the New Testament and quit just living in the Old Testament. If God intended everything to be in the Old Testament, then he wouldn't have inspired the New Testament, huh? So it's important to understand. I've yet to find a Messianic group that really understands about Christ, that really understands about the sacrifice of Christ and how all of these rituals and traditions that they have are of no value. For example, I got a calendar from El Shaddai Ministries. And there's reading for every Sabbath. Now listen up. Three scriptures, law, prophets, writing, New Testament. They are still buried in the triennial reading set down by Ezra when he canonized the Old Testament along with the great synagogue. Okay? Now, there are some people in the Church of God who get carried away going after these Messianic Jews. And the most that I've seen that they do is take the name of Jesus and attach it to Judaism. This is what Paul had to fight against. Now, the book of Hebrews is profoundly important. Almost all of the experts and theologians, they say, well, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, they didn't understand the things of the New Testament times with the Apostle Paul, okay? Now, you remember the last time that Paul went to Jerusalem? And he went to James and the elders. 
And of course, typical Jewish politics. James said to Paul, look at the thousands that believe. Well, we'll see they didn't believe the way that they should. And there were some of the so-called Christian Jews who had a vow and they asked Paul to pay for it and to show the people in Jerusalem that he wasn't against the sacrifices and things like that. Okay. Well, just the last day that that came about, someone recognized Paul, said, there he is, there he is, there's the one who's saying, don't circumcise your children, which is not what he did. But you need to understand how hostile that the supposed believers in Jerusalem had against Paul. So remember the centurion rescued him, and then Paul asked the centurion, can I speak to the to the people? Okay. So he spoke to the people and went through everything leading up to Christ and so forth. Okay. Then, when he got to the word Gentiles, they came unglued like an exploding keg of TNT. Because, remember what happened in Antioch? What happened was this. When they came down, and Peter was there with Paul and Barnabas, the Jews from the circumcision party came down, and what did Peter do? Galatians, the second chapter. And he had to correct him severely for his hypocrisy, because, you see, the Jews never wanted to put the Gentiles in the same category. They wanted to follow the same thing that they have always done in their synagogues. The men had their section, the women had their section, and the Gentiles had their section. Okay? Well, when Paul was going around preaching, he was breaking all of that up. And remember, almost every synagogue that he went to ended up in a riot in a split right down the middle of the synagogue. So the Jews in Jerusalem didn't like Paul doing that. And they didn't like him preaching grace. And they didn't like him preaching faith, the faith of Christ for forgiveness of sin and salvation because they had their works, their works of law. And so the book of Hebrews has been written by Paul, but he didn't put his name on it. Why? Because it would have been burned on arrival by the zealots for Judaism. See, Judaism was never the law of God. 
Judaism is a religion of men with thousands of laws and codes of Jewish law which do not give you any opportunity to think on your own, to understand on your own, to pray to God on your own, but you must do it according to the configuration of Judaism and the rabbis. And that's the mistake that happened to James. And he got captive by them. So let's see if we can figure out how we know that Paul wrote it. Let's come to Hebrews 13, and let's pick it up here. Verse 22. Now I admonish you, brethren, to patiently listen to this message of exhortation which I have written to you in only a few words. That's the whole book of Hebrews. Okay? And what you will see is that it constantly emphasizes Christ and the coming end of the covenant with Israel and the new covenant with the church. Okay? Now, verse 23. And I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom, if he comes soon enough, I will see you. That is, see you through him. Okay? So, who was Timothy with? Always. Paul. He was never with anybody else. This is a clue. Because the critics say, well, we don't know who wrote it. Maybe it was Apollos. Well, we don't know. Apollos came originally out of Egypt, so I I wonder if he even lasted through the death of, of the Apostle Paul. Because it says there in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, that all those in Asia have left me. So Paul wrote this when he was in prison in Rome. He had his run-in in 58 A.D. and then was two years in Caesarea protected. And then he, he got to Rome in 61. And one of the first things he did was contact the Jews. And then he undoubtedly wrote the book of Hebrews. And let's add a little bit more to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, as we will see, wasn't just written then, but the book of Hebrews was a basic message that Paul brought wherever he went. Because remember, he always started in the synagogue. So, we will find, and I'll bring it out a little later, the other, the other style that Paul had, and we'll see it, when he, when he strung scriptures together, he did the same thing in Romans, the 15th chapter. We'll see a little later, okay? 
And he quotes a scripture and he says, and again, and again, and again. And there's no other writer in the New Testament that wrote that way. So we have absolute proof that it could not have been anyone else except Paul. So let's come back here to Hebrews, the first chapter, and let's start here. And let's understand what Paul is doing here. See, the most important thing with the new covenant is this. Through the grace of God, the sacrifice of Christ, we have direct access to God the Father and Jesus Christ. You don't need a rabbi. Elders will be fine, but if they're good elders, they will teach you how to do it yourself not to replace what they teach and need to do because they need to. But also, it shows that all the elders have got to study and pray and yield to God and learn and put everything together. Now, especially back then when all of this was going on, because you see, as Carl Franklin wrote one of his papers years ago, that Sunday worship started in Jerusalem for Gentiles. See? Now, when we come to Hebrews, the fourth chapter here, Paul knocks that completely in a cocked hat and kicks it away because there's nothing, nothing, nothing in the world to what? Substitute for the Sabbath of God. You can't take one day in seven because you don't know which day is the seventh day. Okay? Now, let's see where he starts. See? And he wants to get all, all of the the Jews, and all of the Gentiles on the same page. So he shows that, yes, God did deal with the Jews. But now even the Jews must change. Let's begin right here in verse 1. God who spoke to our fathers at different times in the past and in many ways by the prophets has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Now remember, he was the only begotten. See? And that's important because a lot of the heresy that Jesus had a natural birth by father Joseph came right out of Jerusalem because they wanted to downgrade Christ and raise Judaism. Okay? So Paul's restoring it here, okay? Look at it. All right, let's look at verse 1 here again. Different times, who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Enoch, Noah, 
Seth, and then the prophets and the different ones that God raised up. Okay? Spoken to us by his son. And this is why we have it written down, see? Because God wants it written down. Remember what God told John when he was giving him the book of Revelation? He said, write. Okay? You can't go by traditions of men that remain accurate. They never do. Must be written down. Whom he, that is God, see, has appointed heir of all things. Now, that's the whole universe. And we can understand that a little better now, with especially with this new James Webb telescope and the pictures. We still have them online. If you go watch them, look at that. And when you look at that and see how beautiful that is and how fantastic that is, and then when you understand that God says that he's going to make new heavens, new earth. It's going to be a spectacular thing. Okay? Now notice, here he takes takes away that Jesus was just begotten and born by Joseph and Mary together. Just notice what he says here with whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the ages. Okay? Now, look at what John starts off the Gospel of John. See? Starts right off with Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Nothing came into being without him. Okay. So he's establishing that this is God himself manifested in the flesh. Now he's talking about what he looks like now. Who being the brightness of his glory and the exact image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his own power. Now think about that. The word of his power. Remember what he told the apostles before he ascended the final time into the heavens? He said, all power and heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay. So here he substantiates that. Upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself. No one there to help him. All alone. Had to be all alone on that cross. That's why it got dark from noon until 3 p.m. Because the sins of the whole world from the beginning until the end had their sacrifice on that cross and his shed blood right there. Okay. Little sidebar. 
We'll get to it on atonement. It says in Second Peter 2, or First Peter 2, rather, that Jesus carried our sins in himself to the cross. Okay? So those who say that the other goat of atonement also pictures Christ who takes our sins away into the wilderness doesn't have a clue. They were either all there at the cross and he didn't take them away any place else. He didn't take them to heaven. He didn't take them to the wilderness. And I'll get to that when we get to atonement, okay? Now notice, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay? Now remember what Jesus told the Laodiceans to overcome? To the one who overcomes, will I grant you to sit with me in my throne and make judgments? Okay? Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, what is the majesty on high? That's God the Father with all the glory that surrounds him. And you can read that in Revelation 5, 4 and 5, okay? And with all of the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the myriads and myriads of angels, okay? Now, notice. Here's another false doctrine that Jesus was an angel. You know, it's amazing how many false doctrines come up about Jesus. And today we have what? We have nothing but false Jesus, false Christ. Okay. Now notice, having been made so much better than any of the angels inasmuch as he has inherited a name exceedingly superior to them. Yes. Not equal, exceedingly superior. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son. This day I have begotten you. No, he never said that to any of the angels, and not one of the angels ever, ever, as has been recorded, that came, became a bona fide human being like Jesus Christ did. See? And again, now notice the phrase, and again. Keep that in mind, we'll catch it a little later here. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he brought the firstborn, okay, that's Christ. Christ was the firstborn of Mary, right? Christ was the firstborn from the dead, correct? Revelation 1.4, okay? So that tells you what? He was born again at the resurrection. 
if he's firstborn over here in the flesh and firstborn at the resurrection, huh, how are you going to argue with that? Not going to work. Okay. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be his son to me. And again, when he brought the firstborn into the world, he said, let all the angels of God worship him. Now think of that, see. And the angels would not worship anything but God. Correct? Yes. Now on the one hand, of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But on the other hand, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is into the ages of eternity. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, stop and think about this for just a minute. All of you diehard Protestants who get all upset if you hear the word law. You're no different than all of these lawless crooks that they let out on the street. Okay? You have to have law. You have to have everything. Okay. Here we go. Your throne, scepter of righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Scepter is the ruling rod. Okay. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. What is righteousness? Law. Law keeping. See? And he rules by law. And he gives grace so we can have that connection with him. So one of the things that Paul is doing here in writing this, he's trying to bring all of the the Jews who are steeped in every physical little aspect of whatever they do, and they have no sense of spiritualism. Okay? Now let's go on. Notice verse 9. You loved righteousness. Huh. What is righteousness? Law-keeping. And hated lawlessness. All right. Now, all you hard-headed Protestants, you're going to keep after your lawlessness until you are cast into the lake of fire. Because if you don't obey God... And if you don't keep his commandments, everything you're doing is vain. And that's why all the holidays that you have, you know, when it comes out uh, already, you know, there are even some stores already getting the Christmas trees up, ready to go. Okay. A thing which God says he hates Okay. But you love? Oh. 
You hate lawlessness because of this. God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning did lay the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Okay. Again, notice how it goes back to Christ who did the creating. Christ who did the speaking. They will perish, but you remain forever. And will all grow old like a a garment, and you will roll them up like a covering, and they shall be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not end. What does it say about Christ? Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday means when he was the Lord God of the Old Testament. Today means today at any time from that time until his return, okay, forever. You are the same and your years will not change. But unto which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits being sent forth to minister to those who are about to inherit salvation? Okay. Now, so this whole first chapter comes right right at all the things that Judaism does and puts it right smack with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And now when we come to the second chapter here, we're going to learn some important things here as well. So we'll see the progression of this up through to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is where I want to get to I don't think I'll make it today. Okay? Chapter 2 and verse 1. For this reason, it is imperative that we give much greater attention to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should slip away. Why? They don't slip away. You slip away from them from not actively working with them and doing them and studying and praying every day. See? So think about that. Verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was enforced without fail, and every transgression and disobedience received just recompense, how shall we escape? I mean, think about it. God the Father and Jesus Christ working directly in our lives. Okay? To bring us knowledge of salvation, knowledge of the truth, knowledge of his word, knowledge of his plan, forgiveness of sin, blessing of his Holy Spirit. All of that. See? So he says, how shall we escape if we have neglected so great a salvation? And isn't that what happens with people? That's why you're always to put God first. 
which was first received when it was spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Okay. God also bearing witness with them by both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Okay. Now again, he emphasizes against the angels being in a superior place. And this becomes important because you look at Catholicism. That's nothing but fallen angel worship. Everything done in the Roman Catholic Church is Baalism with the name of Jesus on it. Now, if you're a staunch Catholic, don't get mad at me. You check it out. You get the book, The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. That was one of the first books I ever read when I was starting to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I hadn't been involved in any religion, so I, I didn't know the different things of even Protestantism. But that book by Alexander Hislop is so well documented, it will show you that everything that is done in a Roman Catholic church is from ancient Babylon. And the book is called The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. Now, if you can't find one, you write in for us, to us, and we'll send it to you. Okay? Verse 4, chapter 2. God also bearing witness with them by both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For it is not to the angels that he has placed in subjection the world that is to come of which we are speaking. See? God's not going to remake this world the way men think that they want it remade. How many times down through history have men tried to improve things, have a better government? All good people get together and make things work, really. What does it always end up being? Even if you have a short time of good behavior by people, what happens? You have another generation come along that has not been loyal, has not been faithful, has not been taught. And then the next generation comes along, and look at what we have today. Huh? Here we are, five generations removed, and they can't even tell you what a woman is. And they, they dare, they dare to try and change the genders of young children. And how did the National Association of Teachers Union get the power to do that in the schools without even telling their parents? And they call that gender affirmation. Well, it's not. It's gender annihilation. Because when you castrate the boys and burn out the ovaries of young girls, 
you ruin and destroy their lives and their emotions permanently. And the queer society of America wants all of those kinds of children for their sexual perversion practices that they live by. And that's what happens when people go against the will of God. Now, verse 6, Paul then gets to the purpose. Why human life? Because everybody always wants to know what it is. That's why we have the book, From a Speck of Dust to a Son of God, Why Were You Born? See? We have that. And that's a, a beautiful book to show you all the plan of God. If you don't have it, you write in for it. Okay? Now, verse 6. But in a certain place, one fully testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You did make him a little lower than the angels. And you crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over all the works of your hands. And that goes clear back to Genesis 1. He made them male and female and gave them dominion over everything on the earth and then told them to go replenish. Okay? You did put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that was not subjected to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Why? Because we have to come to a point of character so that we can handle all of these things lawfully and legally and in love and in truth the way that God wants. Okay? But we see Jesus. That's what we look to. Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, and God the Father. Okay? And our prayers go directly to God the Father. We don't need a priest. We don't need, what do they call it, rosaries. We don't need prayer shawls. None of that. See, because God wants to be connected directly with each one and grant his spirit and grant his truth and grant his love. Okay? Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, crowned with glory and honor on account of suffering, the death. The death by crucifixion. In order that by the grace of God, he himself might taste death for everyone, because it was fitting for him for whom all things were created and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons into glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So that's why he came, to save us. And think about it it, with human beings. It's an amazing thing indeed. See, How many times do you have a society come along and they're going to make everything better? 
Well, look what it is today. The only way things can be made better is if people follow the laws and commandments of God and the word of God. Their own ways are never going to work. Their own religions are never going to bring anything about but trouble. Okay? If you have an opportunity, spend a little time on American History's channel and watch all the things of the rise and fall of the Third Reich and Hitler and so forth. That he actually was trying to make himself the Messiah. And that he had the German clergy working overtime to rewrite the Bible and get rid of everything Jewish in it because it was the hatred that they had for the Jews. Okay? But everybody thought, oh, this is going to be so good. Oh, look at this. We're going to work. We're going to have food to eat. Everything's fine. Then what? Then you turn the coin over to the other side, and it's death and it's destruction. Well, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in 20. <laughs> 